from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The festival boom and it's fall. Is the Spotify boycott over? Rockstar reunited 45 years later with their guitar. You're listening to The Biz Tape. Welcome to The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Colin McKay, with my local correspondent in LA, Joseph Wazoleski. Joey, how are we Hello. doing today? I'm doing good. I'm a little disappointed that we're not uh, FaceTiming. I can't see Colin's face right now. Yeah, uh, my MacBook decided behind. to go into a million pieces, so blame that. Yeah, it decided to. You know, it, 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 it was tired of my shit. It wasn't uh, Collins. It wasn't Collins error at all. It was the, the MacBooks. Decision no, man, it like it. toy storied itself off the counter. Um, <laughs> but oh God, no, it literally like I, I was, I had it on my desk at it, work it, it, and it just, I hit the corner of it with my knee and uh, it literally fell, and I was with our IT guy, and it literally fell, and it hit the corner exactly of the whole MacBook as it was falling on the ground. So yeah. it was very sad. I'm going to be very sad to repair it, but it's going to happen, and I'm going to cry about how much it's going to cost to Each repair Each tier. Yeah, yeah, constant. They're scrapping together the, the broken pieces just tier uh, by tier. Literally so <laughs> sad. So it didn't like actually break apart. The screen is messed up, but uh, I, you know, we're not here to talk about my MacBook. But uh, if you want more MacBook updates, oh, I not thought, really. wait, 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 no, this is the MacBook update podcast, Colin. <laughs> yeah, Mac, iMac update, that? I update. Um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, we, uh, I thankfully don't have to cover Apple related news and just lie about things. Apple's great. They help the environment a lot. Um, <laughs> people really just uh, love working Tim, for them. Does Tim Cook have a gun to your head right now? What's going, what's going on on the other end there, Colin? <laughs> oh, man. No, me and Tim, Timmy C, we're really tight. We're really cool. We love each other. We're actually, he's like the best we're using, boss. We're using voice memos right now to communicate. Yeah, that's the only way. Not I'm, any other service provider. I'm recording only on GarageBand because you don't need to buy Logic. You could just use GarageBand for everything. <laughs> and it comes everything. free with the Apple software. Anyway, what also comes free is our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at the Biz Tape, which Joe's been working hard at. And I have two kind of given bite-sized versions of the stories, music, and stuff like that. So um, that's been great. We also have our email, thebiztapepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I should also say, as of right now, um, I'm kind of putting the newsletter on hiatus for a minute. Just since mm-hmm. so Joe and I can focus on a couple other things related to the show, which you may have seen our social media and stuff like that. It can make a reappearance. It totally can. I really like doing it. It's just we got to do some little bit of movement here. But, uh, you know, it it's will been be fun. reborn. It will be reborn. It will have a second chance. Newsletter 2.0. So stay tuned for that one, which was all my, you know, music stuff, other stories I couldn't fit in. But now I got to fit them in all here. So I guess I should start. Uh, here we go. Crosby, Stills, and Nash are in the news again, and uh, you may have remembered them a while ago because they were involved with that big hubba baloo. Uh, I don't know why I'm talking like a Dr. Seuss character. The big hubba baloo. Uh, no, in in Wispy Town. No, never mind. And so, like the big hubba baloo <laughs> in February, that like of this last year, you may remember was them and a bunch of other notable musicians were going against Spotify and deciding to leave Spotify, like specifically spearheaded by Neil Young. Many musicians did not want to support Spotify due to their constant financial support and $100 million contract with Joe Rogan, who they accuse of spreading COVID and medical misinformation. That's kind of like the TLDR of it. And then like we talked about on the show is like Rogan kind of made an apology video that was like not an apology, but whatever. And then um, a bunch of musicians joined on the bandwagon and now we're like five months later and maybe the tide is changing specifically Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Like uh, they were early adopters of the band. And actually I should correct that Crosby, Stills and Nash, which I'll get into later, but Crosby, Stills and Nash have returned their music back to Spotify as of July 2nd. So if you're unfamiliar kind of like with the music history here and why this is maybe more notable than other artists coming back, it's because Crosby, Stills, and Nash have a very close relationship with Neil Young and were very early supporters of Neil against Spotify. They were in a super group together, which many consider one of the first super groups of all time in the 60s called Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Originally, it was just Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and then they added the Young later. But they were literally considered one of the first super groups ever to exist Mm -hmm. in like public space. And it made them, you know, their careers into the stratosphere basically. And I want to give you like a reference of like how, like they basically have this really verbose retort for like Spotify. And you've kind of like reading it now, it, 
it's really weird how they've kind of like silently come back to Spotify and maybe showing like greater industry movement in general. But they said, quote, at the time, we support Neil and we agree with him that there is a dangerous disinformation being aired on Spotify's Joe Rogan podcast. While we always value alternate points of view, knowingly spreading disinformation during the global pandemic has deadly consequences until real action is taken to show that a concern for humanity must be balanced with commerce. We don't want our music or the music we make together to be on the same platform. And now these people are back, which is really strange. It only (laughs) took five months for that to apparently turn around. Um, they, again, they requested their labels to take it off. So there may be more than just them. We don't know exactly how much of their rights they own. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like when they were kind of taken off of Spotify, even if like, for instance, Neil Young is still off of Spotify. There's still like a lot of weird, like live versions with Neil Young that are still on Spotify. Cause there's like different things that Neil doesn't control. But it seemed that for a period of time after they made this statement, all the Crosby, Stills, and Nash material was gone. And now it's back. And my question to you, Joe, do you think this is going to lead to some more artists coming back to the platform? Do you think this is like, all right, guys, we had our five months. We're ready to turn around. What do you think (laughs) about this? Uh, I mean, yeah, to be honest, I don't think there was really that much of a mass exodus that I think a lot of the headlines were kind of like pushing towards, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there was like a ton of artists really pushing like to get off the platform. Um, at least the artists that, you know, in the nicest way I can say that, that matter in the situation, you know what I mean? Like big pop acts that are making money, that young people are listening to, right? Crosby, Stills, and Nash is a very, very important group. Um, and they have a bunch of stake, not only in like music history and songwriting, but just in the way rock and roll music uh, or even country music has kind of operated since. But there is still a power disbalance here with like, you know, a lot of the people who decide to leave are like older people who already have the money, who already you know, can, can make the pull themselves and, and not suffer the financial cost or consequence from it. And to be honest, kind of the movement a bit falling on deaf ears to some extent, because I don't really see their fan base really pushing for Joe Rogan to be taken off the platform. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I I, don't know. I think, I I think that, yeah, that's like, kind of the big factor here when it comes to this. Am I surprised that they're coming back? No, (laughs) not, not at all. Uh, in fact, I'm sure if we really deep dived, which I don't know, Colin, uh, how, how deep you dove, uh, with this, but, um, I'm sure there was some artists who said that they were going to leave, did leave. And then they came back a couple weeks later after the headlines weren't Yeah, that's the part that's hard to track here is because obviously there's notable parts of catalogs that older artists just have been able to acquire 
with, you know, their increasing wealth over time and regain control, maybe even through like recapture, as we've talked to before with copyrights and stuff. But like I said, it's a little bit difficult because it's not like Spotify has a this was uploaded then date. And then also there are things that the artist just does not control. Like I was saying in Neil Young's case, like there's like live versions and other things of Neil that like if you're not you know, someone who would be maybe a listener of our show or really into the music business, you wouldn't know like, oh, he might not have the rights to that. So that's confusing to a consumer in that way. And that's why like even me trying to look at, you know, who is uh, still on is very hard because of that, Mm -hmm. because there's no timestamps. And maybe if I went like, I don't even know if the Wayback Machine will work for Spotify but something like that, yeah. I would have to kind of like cross compare. Um, with. I have the feeling it it probably wouldn't because it is like a subscription app. Um, but it is it is interesting to think about the the end goal here. Um, I saw too that them coming back on, they announced that their their like proceeds right? Like all the proceeds for the next month is going to some form of charity. Ah, yes. I forgot um, to mention that. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Yes. He's, they said, but like the only real thing they said was like for the first month, their proceeds are going to go against COVID-19, I believe. Yeah. Against, I'll find the direct thing right now, but like, you know, they were going to say that, you know, this first month we're going to, you know, show that we are very conscious about COVID still, even though we're coming back onto the platform and everything. And, you know, we're Mm going to take this time to, you know, maybe use this money for the better, but also it's like, it's one month. So like, you know what I mean? Like, one month of streaming, yeah. you know, I, it's like one I would month get it. And it's like, yeah, streaming mechanical royalty is like pennies. Okay. It's you know, confirmed to COVID-19 so charities for at least a month. And they didn't really say what that was. Like you're saying, I don't know if it's a mechanical, I don't know if it's all of it. I, I mean, I don't know if it's all of it that they personally have ownership of. I would have liked a clarification of that. Um, Mm-hmm. to just kind of be more straightforward. But yes, they they did put that out there that they are going to donate for a charity for a month, which apparently in our society now is how you get out of any situation as you go, I will donate this money to a charity for an unspecific amount. And that shows that yeah. things have changed. Like, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I don't think the IP of Crosby, Stills & Nash is performing as great on Spotify as maybe others. You know what I mean? But I, right. I'm sure it's not bad, right? Well, sure they had a lot in their sense. circle kind of join them, notably like Joni Mitchell joined them, Neil Young still going. And there was a couple of just like fringe artists. But even at the time I was saying this, and you were saying this too, is we needed for that to really be successful in maybe its endeavors to go after Joe Rogan and his you know, deal on the Spotify, it would have required probably hundreds if not thousands of artists to leave the platform and ones that are you know visibly going to have catalogs that have decades of you know and this is an industry term not just like something i make it out of the water exploitation like obviously mm-hmm. crosby stills nash and young like you know their catalog's been going for 60 70 years obviously there's a whole cat you know argument about older catalogs and maybe they're worth more or whatever 
But at the same time, there's a big deal between, you know, let's say like an Olivia Rodrigo, just in the numbers alone, but also in the time of the catalog, where you have all these young fans who love to listen to the music and will be alive and actively listening to the music for exponential amount of years rather than just the fading and waiting that is natural in music. You know what I mean? Like there's a, it's just, it's not a bad thing. It's not like, Oh, Crosby, still Nash and young fans are old. I mean, I was, I was listening to some of it today. It's just more of the catalog of the people who are the most entranced with the band is going to be those ones that were on young and those people that were, you know, young, listeners of it that have been listening to it for 30 or 40 years are getting older. And so now it's becoming Mm -hmm. less of a, you know, this is the band you listen to and this is a historical act and it's nothing against them. They pulled their weight. They, you know, they did what they could do. It seemed like based on my research from the rights they own, it's just, they didn't have enough people to follow them. And I guess the question is, I, I can answer this for myself, but Joe, do you think this like, accomplish something in terms of the long-term, you know, boycott and everything. And maybe, you know, showed an eye to Spotify in any way and maybe like turned a few heads. What do you, what do you think the overall yeah. long outcome would be? Um, I mean the long outcome, I think that maybe this is almost like with thinking of it as in a case maybe, right. This is like evidence building situation where if in the future something else happens they can call back to this moment um as like another kind of stacking on all of these things against joe rogan but at the end of the day do i think that it made this much of a significant impact um i can't i can't really say to be honest um i don't i'm leaning towards no i'm leaning towards i don't think i made as big of an impact as they thought it would mostly because of the lack of modern talent that they could get to, to leave the platform. I don't think there was enough emphasis on modern talent leaving the platform. I definitely agree. I, I, I don't think there was really as much of a jointed, Hey, everybody come with me. It was more of I'm doing this for a lot of them, Yeah, which is great, but it just felt misdirected in my opinion. To try to get yeah, change I feel to like, occur. I feel like because they have such, which, you know, not to knock their voices, right, in the music industry, because they obviously still have a voice and a say in the music industry, but it does kind of, it is, it is misdirected, like you said, where it's, I feel like so much energy could have gone into something else that maybe would have been a better strategy, such as like, hey, I'm I really want to leave the platform because of this. Let's start calling up artist teams and collectively strike against Spotify. And because I because not only are we are we getting, you know, snubbed and abused by Spotify's payment system, right? Yeah. Because if we're being honest, streaming service paying systems are abusive. But yeah, also 100%. the fact that Joe Rogan is spreading all this information and he's getting a bigger paycheck than most other people are getting on the platform, right? So I think coming about it as that way of like, let's get let's get people kind of going with us on this and convincing music industry professionals that 
if we can survive for this amount of time without streaming, we can still have an impact and we have the power over streaming services. But instead of that, it, it just kind of fell as, you know, Neil Young is mad. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> I, agree. I hate to say. I mean, that's kind of how <laughs> like, it, that's kind of what it felt like. I thought there would be more of a collectivism in that way where it was like, hey, let's get some younger artists. Let's talk to people, especially one that I thought would do that, especially David Crosby, who actually has a lot of relationships with younger artists. And um, mm-hmm. it just didn't seem like that happened. And in a time where obviously COVID was still very, you know, world ending relevant in terms of like the artist's mind of being like, Hey, I can't play shows right now. This is my only money Spotify right now. It's I, I, that was a hard sell even at the time, even though it was six months ago, because that's how, you know, obviously we've had COVID for, you know, two to two years, two and a half years. And so like six months from now is an incredibly long time for this pandemic in terms of like mindset. So I think that might've been why it was harder. You know, even there might've been attempts. I can't say there wasn't, but that's kind of the weirdest thing of it is like, there just wasn't that collectivism there. I think one of the biggest things that people may point to as a point of maybe, well, maybe there was a big thing was their stock value, which I have mentioned before on the show. And in the last six months since, uh, you know, in February and February 1st, they were around $203 a share. And now it's $104. They went down 50%. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. I think the boycott had a little bit of help with that to make them make people feel like we need to get, sell this stock because not even the artists are going to work with them. And I think there was an issue of that, but also that's entirely around the entire economy in general. It's not like just the boycott did this growth stocks in general went all the way down, all this kind of stuff, but I can't disregard. I do really think that it had some impact when it came to what the share price is now and how the company's future is valued. But I don't think it was, you know, maybe more than 10% of it, if, if I would say that. Like I of, think, yeah, I think, you know what I, I think it successfully did was I broke the facade that Spotify cares about artists. Uh, I, I think it I almost think reignited that, it. Yeah, I think I think that, like, it, it really kind of snapped everyday people uh, out of this kind of, like, trance-like thing of, like, Oh, this is like just a music platform and it's safe and like there's nothing wrong with it, right? But then, you know, here's this huge name uh saying like what's what's wrong with it essentially and when how it's affecting almost every single part of our lives every day, um, sometimes negatively, right? But I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. I, I do somewhat agree where I do think it it probably it has an impact. I think anything, any time an artist uses their voice to express concern or opinion, I do think it has an impact at the end of the day. Yeah. But I, I, I do think most of the stock impact is from external things that just kind of timed at the same time. And funny like enough, I, I think a at lot the of same it, time, a lot of it might have come from the emphasis on podcast investment. Is what a lot of people I've yeah, seen said. I, I, I think it 
It was because, you know, they had all of this investment into podcasts and here is this zero return almost on it, you know, and they were dumping so much money into the production and the IP grabbing um, nature that is the podcast industry. But then they just haven't returned on their investors yet. And I think that's been an issue with every single streaming service, not just Spotify. Yeah, I think it's visual streaming as well. I mean, we've seen with how Netflix has, you know, fired so much of their staff because of how uh, they're they're changing their strategy for making money, essentially, because they've gotten to this point where they have to. And I think because Netflix, this huge, giant streaming service, this this mega Goliath of a streaming service has to do this. Spotify is also in trouble of that as well especially with being in a medium which frankly is much more undervalued than visual media yeah i uh it's gonna yeah i think it's i i think yeah i think it's it's definitely an interesting um situation and i like i said before i i i really do value artists that i don't want to like act like i'm talking shit about you know neil young because in a lot of ways i sympathize and agree with what he was saying, but I do think that if there's going to be a huge impact on the music market, it has to be a collective impact, not just a singular voice with, you know, maybe a few others at the end of the day. Look, like Spotify is like, is around 30% of the market in streaming. So to go against it will require a a, you know, a Herculean task of people to basically work together and all do it. And then we just didn't see that. I think it was, that's why I said reignited is I think like Taylor Swift was fighting this battle in 2014 and everyone mm-hmm. thought she was crazy for it. But look at now, you know what I mean? Like against Spotify. Yeah, I and, mean, she held out, she held out a long time too. Right. And, um, you know, Spotify notably just lost the, uh, copyright court case, which I, don't really want to get into because it's very, but you can look it up, uh, which is very deep about, you know, songwriter payouts and everything. And to be honest, mm-hmm. Spotify is in a bad place because of, you know, increased costs also just because of that growth market thing in the you know state of streaming in general, like you're saying, I think that for me, Spotify is showing the repercussions of them implicitly going and we're not a music company anymore. We're an audio company. And they've said that mm-hmm. many times over the last two years. They go, we're not just music, we're audio. And, you know, with music, <laughs> I do believe there is a very high tolerance of freedom of expression, you know, all this kind of stuff, musical interpretation, everything like that, because at the end of the day, it's an art in that way. But when you go into just audio and just spoken word that's not, you know, poetry or, you know, just like comedic or something like that, then you really open yourself up to the can of worms that is showing that your company is supporting what this person is saying if you're giving them a $100 million deal. So mm-hmm. I think personally, they are reaping, you know, repercussions because of you know, investments that they have made in this and also public attention. But I definitely think for a lot of the investors out there, it's more for the lack of return on investment for a hundred million dollars of Joe Reagan or, you know, all this money that they've sent. Obviously I'm sure there's a lot of investors that have made it way easier to sell their shares when they went, Oh, they're also 
a piece of crap about artists and everything. Because again, like if you're in the music industry, this is a big deal to you. But if you're just a regular investor, this may not. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. that's the problem. I said, they also, that's like, that's the main thing. This is an extra thing for a lot of people out there. So I, Spotify is still living, but it's one of those things where I think we have seen a reignition of artists. I wish it wouldn't flame out. I hope that other artists stay strong. I do think there are competitive, uh, you know, others in the marketplace now, especially with Apple Music, Amazon Music, YouTube Music. There's, you know, not just two of them anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's still a, a giant, you know, battle to be had that, you know, to explain to general public about, you know, it is difficult. So I don't, I don't yeah, really I blame people for having to come back, especially if it's a monetary issue, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. definitely more of a giving in than it is being resilient. Yeah, so. I agree. I, I, it is interesting too. I mean, we really have, it just shows how news fluctuates so rapidly now too, because you know, this was hot news when we were talking about it, but now it's like you can just almost feel that it's not as important. You know what yeah. I mean? No, like 100%. in the grand scheme of like everything else that's going on. And so I think a lot of everyday people are feeling that. And to be honest, too, like uh, nowadays, a lot of people are uh, worried about other things <laughs> and not yeah. necessarily the music industry. Uh, yeah, so and that's kind of always been the sad of- truth with it. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Hi, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You know, going into our our next story, I guess this is a good segue. Um, Day in Vegas Festival has been canceled this year. So did we talk about, Colin, did we talk about Day in Vegas Festival? So you brought this up 
when we were talking about Travis Scott coming back to actually play yes. a festival, and yes, this was going this to be his, his first, first fest. Yeah, first yeah, festival. His first concert back after the the Astroworld tragedy, which would be, for some people, a high selling point, you'd think, right? This is like his first probably hyped-up show in over six months, right, that he's going to do. Yeah, we thought um, we'd never seen him again. To, yeah, but according to Day in Vegas, they put out a statement saying that they canceled the event due to poor ticket sales, which we haven't really seen since <laughs> since COVID. Really? Right? I if can't anything, believe that's the yeah. reason. Yeah, that's the reason. So the kind of gone are the days of festivals selling out post COVID at this point, because Dane Vegas festival is not the only festival that's struggling. According to billboard, a lot of festivals on this like second half of the summer run are like running into this problem of people are not buying tickets to go to their event, which it can be a multitude of reasons for day in Vegas. It's very surprising because they had headlining acts such as like we said, Travis Scott, SZA, J Cole, Playboy Cardi, 21 Savage, Baby Keem, and Summer Walker, all of who have massive followings and huge fan bases that you'd think people would kill to go see their shows at this point, right? But people are just not into it, it seems like. Uh, some touring professionals are stating that the festival's decision to host the event during what is historically one of the hottest weekends in Nevada, Labor Day weekend, didn't really help the situation. <laughs> Being as, <laughs> you know, they're in a literal desert <laughs> and people don't want to, you know, get heat stroke. Um, but this isn't, like I said, the only reason that the festival isn't selling out. It just seems to be like sales are slowing and slowing. A lot of people are kind of looking towards this huge surge in inflation, uh, accounting for poor sales as well as like, you know, people just saving money, uh, awaiting this like projected uh, economic crash that might happen at this point, um, as well as just like supply chain issues and and stuff like that. But it is kind of interesting, Colin. Uh, I, I'm wondering your input on this because you're behind the scenes on this. You know how festivals are run. Do you what do you what do you kind of think of this? And what do you think of like the other festivals that are kind of suffering from? low ticket sales this early i feel like after the pandemic it's kind of surprising right yeah i do think it's kind of surprising um i was expecting more of a fall where going to a festival seemed a little bit more outlandish because it hadn't really been in the books before you know generally festival season is in the summer to about labor day and then after that you know it's over and so i thought the mm -hmm. fall would be around there but obviously, like you're saying, there's economic factors that are really, really going hard on you know the people when it comes to buying tickets and everything like that. And to be honest, I think there is a um, little bit of a balancing act here, where you know there was obviously I there were people selling tickets for so much money because of the demand was so high, and it wouldn't surprise me if they were still keeping those ticket prices, the same level of demand, if that makes sense, yeah. like saying we're not going to lower it because we built all our costs around that. And they go, the consumer goes, well, I we can't afford it. And then this is what kind of happens. Um, mm -hmm. 
This is kind of that bell curve I was talking about where maybe we're seeing the beginning of it where artists and tours have been buy, 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 buy this new equipment, buy this thing, set up this thing, spend all this money. Buy, 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 There's so much to do. (laughs) You know, like there's so much. There's no way anything bad could happen. And this is what's happening is that the inflation is just hitting people out of the market. It is causing Mm -hmm. people that have tried to get a new lease on life after COVID and, you know, no pandemic money just to go, well, I'm screwed because I just spent, you know, thousands of dollars to get all this equipment here and to book people and we're barely going to even make even. And this is kind of that yeah. balancing act of the what, what, what I would call a correction where market and supply have to figure out what they're doing with each other, where all these mm-hmm. promoters go, you can't just sell a festival and go, it's a festival. It's going to sell. Now it's going to be like, okay, who's playing? When is it? What other things are you competing with? Which are traditionally things that in a, you know, it almost reminds me of housing. Like they were in a seller's market of it almost where if you put it on the market, people will buy festival tickets. But now it's like, um, I don't know. Um, And yeah, we, Mm -hmm. I've mentioned on the show when I first started audio was the first real festival boom. Like, we had gone from there's three or five or seven festivals in the United States that happen. And then every mother and father decided we're doing a festival in our hometown. And, um, that's just kind of what happened when I was growing up in like the late 2010s. Yeah. Which I think is kind of, I think that's also impacted here too, because there is just so much competition with these smaller festivals now. And by smaller, I mean like, you know, not Bonnaroo Coachella, right? <laughs> like, right. I mean, this like is, mid, like I'm saying, this is Travis festivals. Scott. This is Jake Cole. This is Baby Keen, 21 Savage. These are not small acts whatsoever. It's just, you know, yeah. when you're like, now that you're moving out of this seller's market, as I will call it, of festivals, then like, you know, the buyers can be a little bit more nitpicky, just like if you're buying a house. Mm-hmm. Well, this is in the middle of Nevada and it's super hot out and I don't want to go now. Like now it feels like consumers because they value their, you know, money that they're having, you know, to fight inflation over. They're going, well, we're going to make this a mm-hmm. good one. And so you really got to work hard on the, you know, service that's going on here and explaining that in promotion to everyone else. Now, I also have to mention, obviously, rap and hip-hop music has historically had a rough time with trying to sell tickets at an affordable rate, uh, and that's well-documented. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's just like one of those things where they're trying to hit a different market that other markets aren't you know, trying to hit, which you know is a fault of their own at the same time. But the point is, is that like this is already a, a difficult market rap and hip hop to sell tickets to. I'm sure also, like I said, Travis Scott is first time playing after Astro world is the most double edged sword I've ever seen where it's like, Hey yeah. guys, it's almost like it's a selling point in some weird kind of effed up way, but it's also like, it kind of shows that people don't really, people don't really care that much. Well, maybe, but this is what I'm saying. Maybe it's a little bit of both where you have, you know, the people that love Travis Scott, you know, heard about the Astroworld tragedy, not my opinion, but like maybe thought he didn't do anything wrong. 
and they were like, oh man, he's going to get, you know, canceled. He's never going to be able to play again. I need to go see him. Let's go buy these tickets. But I also think that, Mm -hmm. you know, if you were trying to sell tickets at the same time, especially for parents who have to buy these tickets or, you know, other people that don't really know, you know, maybe are going necessarily just for Travis Scott, they would go, well, I don't know. I don't think maybe we should go because Travis Scott is on here. You know what I mean? What if, you Mm -hmm. know, World happens again? Yeah. Or like, you know, there's another tragedy because he, because, you know, a lot of people when that happened were immediately like it was partly the fans and how he riles people up, which I agree might've been part of it. But like at the same time, it's not the sole factor. And so like what I'm trying to say is that these people might look at Travis Scott and go, I don't want to take that risk with my money, especially if it's as going might be up unsafe. You know what I mean? So that's kind mm-hmm. of the double-edged sword of Travis Scott. And obviously without like very good market polling or whatever, you can't really come up with a definitive. Yeah. A lot of people were kept away because of Travis Scott, but that's the most interesting part of this is that he's a big double-edged sword. And um, for others, it doesn't seem to be, as much of a concern that they're on the same bill as with some artists who have experienced great giant, you know, PR trouble. But at the same time, it's like one of those things where this might be why, you know, even though I want to go see SZA, I might not go buy a ticket because Travis Scott is there or, you know what I mean? That's like you're saying, maybe Mm -hmm. they don't want to support Travis directly, especially if, you know, he's one of the headliners. Do you know if he was like top bill or something or yeah, he was top bill. So that's another, yeah, there you go. Like you're you, immediately, there's a dichotomy with it where I feel like consumers can look at that and go, well, if I buy a ticket, then most of the money's going to go upward, right? On a bill. So, um, yeah, that, that could be also an issue, but yeah, I, I think that the festival market has been a little overblown for a couple of years now when it comes to just the amount of festivals there were, um, And to be honest, it just seemed like if you had more than two bands playing, people would go, it's a festival. And I'm like, no, it's Mm -hmm. not. And, you know, it's like, uh, oh, my God, (laughs) this is like one of my biggest pet peeves. And I will come after you if you say this, Joe, a residency, right? Like you have a residency of a venue. Okay. You have to play there a lot to have a residency of a venue mm-hmm. and they usually don't do you it. You have anymore. to be like, you have to be like the act to play right. there. And so like, like a couple of months. Now I was seeing people here in Nashville and they would go, we have a residency for July and we're playing two shows. That is not a residency. I am so sick of this. <laughs> like people keep saying that because they're like residency is a fancy dictionary word. That makes it sound well, fancy. It's almost like, it's almost like they're, trying to claim ownership over the venue in some weird way with right. the marketing. Like I'm going to exit in. I have a residency at exit in for two weeks and it's like you, they only have two dates, like those Friday dates or whatever. And it's like, that doesn't mean you, that doesn't compute. Right. right? Of like, like, you like don't, you, you don't have any more stake as the band coming through town. Right. You know, you have a residency. Like if you're Lady Gaga or Adele and you are every night in this casino, you know what I mean? Getting re- like paid 
millions of dollars per or show. You even know? the lower sum, like if you had a residency, like the Doors had a residency of the Whiskey A Go Go. They were the house band. Mm-hmm. They played there like three to four days a week. <laughs> Anyway, that's a completely different tangent, but I just get so upset about that. But like <laughs> the point is, is that the festival market's in weird shape because a lot of these mom and pop festivals, when the, the you know it was booming, were like, "Yay, we're doing well," you know, because there was just this huge boom in festivals. But two years have gone by with COVID, with no festivals, and money's getting tight, and people don't know what they want to buy necessarily until they get the best deal. So. That's yeah. what's going on here is that a lot of people who maybe were, you know, oh, well, we only got a few more years and then we'll be a really big festival and then we won't have to worry about the cost as much. They came back after two years of COVID and now they're getting blindsided going, well, I don't understand. You know, why, why are we not blowing up again? It's two years after COVID, but it's like you might have barely been making it before. It doesn't mean that you're going to make it you know, huge after COVID, which has been a folly mm-hmm. I've seen in a lot of music business stuff. But I think the gold rush of, you know, live music is is coming down to its normal pace again in some weird way from this. Um, and, it, and it might have been increased, right, because of the inflation rate. Um, but I also do think that demand has just been decreased. I think people are burnt out, you know, People are kind of burnt out of going to festivals and shows a little bit, especially like I think this happens every summer where you get to the tail end of festival season and everybody, including the bands, are just over just it. sick of it. You know, we we don't want to be outside in the sweltering heat, you know, anymore. Right. And that's why, you know, Colin, another layer to this is climate change. Right. And how different climates affect the way that you promote your festival. And as we've seen, Day in Vegas poorly uh, planned that, but also it just seems like more and more festivals are continuously kind of, I guess not not pushing back, not more and more festivals are doing this, but festivals have, have kind of kept the summertime as like this is festival season, right? The music industry has kind of kept it this like these like three month span sprints for the music industry. Right. But why isn't it that these festivals are more in like the fall time or like maybe the springtime or like parts of the months that are a bit more like, you know, people do want to be outside (laughs) instead of just like sweltering in the heat all day during the summertime. Right. I feel like summer at this point, is kind of getting to where winter is for a lot of people of like, you don't really go out during the summer a lot of the time, especially uh, out west. People, people don't. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I agree. Climate change is an interesting issue here other than obviously the ecological cost that touring is, but also, yeah, I mean, we've kept it just three months out of the year because schools are out, all this kind of stuff. But like, you know, there might need to be, a change. But yeah, that's that's like that's like another factor of like these these festival packages. Most people in school can't afford to go to them, you know, at this point. So why are we even marketing towards those people? Well, you know, I agree that I feel like there's a natural thing in summer where people 
want to be out and about. But I, I definitely think that in terms of like you're saying, ecologically, like in climate wise, is that maybe we need to turn back the clock. Maybe festival season ends in June and we start like in March. You know what I mean? Like Coachella is mm-hmm. March 3rd or something. You know what I mean? So like that's that's what I'm saying is like it it, it seems very it's an issue no one's really thinking about right now. And it, it does have an impact. I mean, you know, if, especially with a festival that is outdoors. Yeah. 100%. Um, like you're going to just have to deal with that. And then obviously it was indoors. Then, you know, whatever venue you're doing is going to charge you so much money for the HVAC. So, uh, you know, and that's a built-in cost. Obviously, there's not like a bill where it's like we paid Coldplay four thousand dollars for HVAC. Da, 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 da. Sign Marriott <laughs> Hotel. You know what I mean? So like, it's it's one of those things where it's it's not really an issue that's talked about. But I'm glad you brought that up because that that's really interesting to me to see if we'll have to change that or what. Because I think there is a natural, you know. 100 degrees is also just unsafe a lot of the time for a lot of people yeah. out there. So Well, 100%. And, you know, a lot of these festivals, especially big festivals, are pro-camping. And at that point, you're, you're responsible for the people 24-7 <laughs> at that point. And right. it just makes it a lot harder on festival staff, especially in, like, most of these festivals are out in the middle of nowhere where a lot of the towns they kind of occupy don't have the infrastructure to handle this many people all at once. So, yeah, I I, I am kind of interested to see the shift, if there's going to be a shift. I think there has to be. I think this is going to keep happening more and more towards the middle of summertime where, you know, people just don't want to go out in the middle of 120-degree weather. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they will either. Um, It's just um, it's real rough for a lot of people out there when it comes to making these decisions with the economy, and then you know you're trying to have a good time, and obviously there's just a lot of competition out there, and there's a lot of competition where you know there's things I've just never heard of. I mean, here in Nashville, there's a festival every three days for some reason. Like it's just yeah. literally like I don't know what this is. I've never heard of this in my life. I just think there's a lot of people trying to get into the space because they feel that COVID boom, but I agree with you. It might be a little too late for people, especially if you don't have the branding already intact in a lot of people's minds. So from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Check the backseat. Check the back seat. Hi, right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. 
Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Well, this turned into the existential dread uh, episode. Um, Okay, wait, wait, you know, we can go back. Um, So like... Let me let me tell you about this for, for our last story real quick because I thought it was crazy. Um, so Randy Bachman is basically very gleeful because they found his guitar after 45 years after it was stolen. Um, if you don't know okay. who Randy Bachman is, Randy Bachman was part of the Guess Who and the Randy Bachman Overdrive, and their big song for the Guess Who was American Woman, you know, and all that kind of stuff, Fourth of July vibes. Whoa. Um, Whoa, what? Colin, we're going to get copyright striked. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was exactly American Woman! <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, you know, that was their big thing. You might also know, this is an older reference, but this is like the only thing, guess who are kind of, the story is a little bit bigger right now than, you know, the band's relevance. But like, uh, they're, they were also, if you watch uh, Super Bad, that when uh, when uh, Michael Sarah's singing to those guys in the back room and he's going, these eyes, that's a, that's a, uh, <laughs> fucking the I can't believe I remembered that but uh yeah that's one of their songs too and then his other song back Bachman Turner Overdrive is uh taking care of business that's the other big one but nice. like the the story yeah, so is an American classic right he he wrote like everything that like a dad working a blue collar job was like yeah and like you know then his Mustang revved up yeah anyway uh so like <laughs> The point is, is that this story is just insane. So, like, he lost this guitar 45 years ago. It was his first guitar ever. He saved up for, like, literal multiple jobs in his teenage years to buy it. It was $400. That, and it was a 1957 mm-hmm. Gretsch 6120 Chet Atkins, which is a very, very sweet guitar, if you know anything about guitars. But basically mm-hmm. what happened was is that in the in the um, early days in 1977, someone stole it from his hotel room in Toronto. And he said, quote, I cried for three days. It was a part of me. It was very upsetting. Oh, God. And he literally was like, I ended up buying 300 guitars in unsuccessful attempts to replace it. That's how much this guitar wow. meant to him. 
and he's you know very frequent he's like he's got his own show where he talks to and talks about music history and stuff so he's still in the scene and one fan this canadian fan like made it his duty to find the guitar which i thought was crazy and he just started looking through and like trying to track down the guitar of where it would be he found that the guitar's wood grain which is like how the specific wood uh you know pattern looks from literally the piece of wood it was cut off was very distinctive so he was able to look through Mm -hmm. all of these images and basically figure out this is the guitar and he tracked it guess how far away from toronto the guitar got I'm going to, I'm going to, I feel like you're psyching me out. I think it's still in Toronto. No, it went to Tokyo. It, oh. it, it, isn't <laughs> okay. it, it went over international <laughs> waters, this guitar, all the way yeah, to this insane. guy who, who's a Japanese musician named uh, Takaishi in December 2019, where he like, and that's how he found the guitars. He found a YouTube video of the guy from Tokyo playing the guitar. And then he told Bachman, he said, this is where the guitar is. And then Bachman said, I was crying. The guitar almost spoke to me over the video. Like, hey, I'm coming (laughs) home. And I was like, a little exaggerated. (laughs) Come get me, Randy. (laughs) Right. And so apparently uh, Takahishi. Uh, The guy's just playing Sweet Caroline. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, Randy. Randy. But Takahishi agreed to give Bachman the guitar in exchange for another similar guitar, which Bachman searched and found basically what he calls the guitar's sister, which is a guitar that was made during the same week with a close serial number that had no modifications and no repairs. This is how much he's willing to get this guitar back. Um, Hell yeah, dude. And he said to find my guitar again was a miracle to find its twin sister was another miracle. Um, Yeah, for real. And uh, Takahishi said, he goes, I owned it and played it for only eight years, and I'm extremely sad to return it now. But he has this feeling, he's talking about Bachman, he has a feeling of sadness for 46 years, and it's time for someone else uh, to be sad. And he goes, I felt sorry for this legend, which I just thought was very sweet, Um, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, so like at the end of the day, like he, he, he got the guitar, and now the other guy got the guitar and they're planning to make a documentary about it or something like that. It seems like about how the guitar, wow. you know, got there or whatever, but it's just this weird world thing. And there's a huge plethora of instruments that like nobody knows where they went. Um, mm-hmm. and they're extremely it's valuable. A lot like art. It's, ex- I mean, it's it, exactly it, like, like really. Art. Yeah. I mean, if you go to a, if you go to a museum, a lot of the times it's like frankly it's stolen artwork that was sold to the museums so it's it it's kind of the same level of like things are just are just kind of taken and and flown like across the world 100 percent. i can't but yeah it was still together again seven it was still together like literally across the ocean i don't even know how I mean, I've joked. That's insane. I, Joe, I don't. I asked their fans, like, do you have an instrument that you could never get rid of? And 75% of them said, yeah. And I have the same thing. And I was wondering, do you have one like that, Joe? Like an instrument you could I do. just never get rid of? What is it? I do. It's, it's definitely, it's my Epiphone, um, my Gibson Epi that I got. It was my first electric guitar that I bought myself that has 
the guy who owned it, it was actually pre-owned, and the guy who owned it before me installed some um, pull-out pickups that like make it sound like an old-school Epiphone. Um, but yeah, that that guitar is everything about it. I don't know if it's just because you know it is the the embodiment of like I saved up and bought this with my own money that it's like, this is like one of the first things that's like a mine that I, I bought myself. Um, or if it is just like the playability of the guitar itself, but there's just something about it that I just, I can't, I, I, I just can never part ways with that guitar. Was it I your just, first I guitar? I don't ever see myself doing it. It wasn't my first guitar guitar actually uh my first guitar was uh i think you have my first guitar actually oh the, that the squire acoustic uh, i own <laughs> yeah it's a piece of shit <laughs> if fred buzzes it's so everywhere. bad it's like tinny as hell it's so bad the neck I is like, like all fucked up i, I, like I hate it. that guitar you uh, you can have it i <laughs> i i never want to see that guitar ever again so i but, have one um, too like um mine is uh i have that bass guitar that i've had it was my first bass guitar it was my first like non-classical instrument it's a 2005 ibanez art core and you can look it up it's got really big this is going to sound terrible over the radio f holes which is like what a violin has. And um, yeah, uh, I'm, a, I'm a child. I'm yeah, like, I knew I knew you were going to laugh at that. That's why I gave it the warning. And so, yeah, it's got really big uh, F holes yeah. and stuff, but I use it to record still to this day for things. And um, it's like my favorite thing. And I played stand up bass for so long and I asked my parents, could I, I want an electric bass guitar, but I didn't want to have a fender because I was like, this is lame because it's like the most white bread guitar of all time. Bass guitar. <laughs> but sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Fender precision bass. <laughs> it sounds good, but it's the most white bread. Oh, you made an orange. Guess what? It's the same fucking it's you have the Honda civic of bass guitars. It's reliable. It's great. It's <laughs> nothing to look cool about. Anyway, I, uh, literally have this bass guitar and it's like one of my favorites. I've had like tape wound strings on it, but yeah, I've had it since like, like 2010, 2011. We bought it from this little music store in, uh, Marietta and my dad went and got it and this is the one I have to this day and it's still my favorite one but so like you know and I've even joked I said like if I if this house was burning down I'm taking this thing like literally um yeah but uh, I have it in my hands right now but like yeah it, it I think this story's crazy because there are just a bunch of instruments that are historically important that are art I mean just you know obviously the musician makes them but also just like the time period and the Luther who made them is very artistic. And so like one that comes to mind is Paul McCartney's first bass that's been gone for, for what, 50, 60, 70 years. Um, it's the first Beatle mm-hmm. bass. No one knows where it went. No one has any idea what happened to it. And they've been, there's literally groups that I've been on where they're still trying to find it, which I think is crazy. Wow. I think Hoffner, who's the one who makes the Hoffner violin bass, which is the one he has also has a very big interest in finding it. And I just see posts. Sometimes they'll be like, have you seen this? You know, <laughs> like literally this is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And it might be one of the most expensive instruments of all time that has been just lost to time. It's probably like in a billionaire's basement somewhere and doesn't <laughs> let anybody else know, but you know, it's yeah. pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad for, Randy Bachman here. I, I think that's crazy. It's a really sick guitar. If you want to look it up, um, also, also articles all below, but yeah, it took him just, you know, only 45 years to get it back. I couldn't imagine. And he wrote a lot of his wow. biggest hits on it. So 
I thought it would be, you know, after a depression years. climate story <laughs> with, a, you know, bring a good feel good <laughs> in there. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Hi, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. 
oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. So, uh, Joe, what have you been listening to? Oh, man. Uh, why did you catch me off guard on this? Oh, um, I'm going to get you. <laughs> I, I've been listening to a plethora of things, Colin. Uh, okay. A lot of things that I do not have on my screen at this moment. So, All right. Me, well, you want me to go give first? Give me a second. Yeah, you go first. You go I can first. go first. Okay. Well, first, I was listening to um, uh, one of your favorites, Joe. I was listening to uh, Eternally Even by Jim James again because I just really like that album. Oh, nice. It's just yeah, very like... Album. There's not like I don't know like it's that perfect amount of indie for me where it's like just enough but not too much I don't know how to describe that. Um, mm-hmm. Also, then I just found knowing me a bunch of weird music things. So first, I found on <laughs> Tim Heidecker's inst- like I, I think I sent it to you on Tim Heidecker's TikTok. He's making music with Mac DeMarco. Like, oh yeah, I and saw I was that. like, "What is going on?" So I'm very like, I was listening to like part of it. It's just a TikTok. But All the like, millennials are freaking out. <laughs> I was literally like, "What is going on?" That seems so strange. So I'm hyped for that. And then uh, a buddy of mine shared with me this. I've been watching. I've been rewatching Game of Thrones, right? And I was talking to my friend about it, and he goes, "Do you know what Game of Thrones the musical is?" And I went, "What did you just say?" And uh, Apparently, Coldplay <laughs> did this thing where uh, your favorite oh, Coldplay, yeah. Um, yeah, and yes. so like, and so Coldplay did this thing for um, this charity. I cannot rain. Oh, for Red Nose Day, that's what it is. But like, they got a bunch of the mm-hmm. actors together, and they do these like little songs, and it's so funny because like, I mean, they're just obviously I like the actors, but also they're kind of funny, just like performers. Um, so like uh, Peter Dinklage does one, which Peter Dinklage was already mm-hmm. a front man of a punk band. I don't know if you knew that for a long time. Um, and oh, uh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's he was very, Peter there's some Dinklage, really honestly. fucking awesome photos of him. Just like right in front of a pit, just like fucking yelling. It's, it's so cool looking, That's but sick um, as fuck. They're so cool. You should look them up. But like he does one where he's basically like the song is called I survived all seasons. And it's literally just him talking about other people that died in the show and his character just kept going. And then um, <laughs> there's my other favorite is that uh, the guy who plays um, Jamie Lannister is like so funny to me because he does a song that calls uh, that's about like love and his uh, love song is called Closer to Home, which <laughs> I think is so funny because <laughs> it has to deal with, you know, Incest. Anyway, that's you know, certain <laughs> topics. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So it's just, it, it was so good. I was like really surprised because, you know, I'm a notable Coldplay hater, but uh, I liked it. I thought it was mm. fun. So, Joe, you've had enough time. What did you listen to? Got him. We got him. He's a Coldplay fan now. <laughs> I am the scientist. Is that what the Coldplay fans now say? <laughs> yeah. I'm in for yeah, the Beats commercial. You know, for the Coldplay <laughs> Beats commercial. That's my favorite video. <laughs> yep. 100%. <laughs> Um, well, I have been listening to a single by F.A., and that's E-F-E with like a, uh, I, I don't know what the little thing is on the top of the E. You know what I'm talking about, Colin? I'm very ignorant. Uh, I sound idiotic I know what the right U now, is, is that it's an umlaut, just type, but I don't know what just the Just e type is. E-F-E in Spotify, and they'll pop up, but they have a song called Kiwi that is amazing. At the end of the song, just like this cool, like, uh, I almost like, picture you know like the scooby-doo movie where it's like the aliens it's like the alien scooby-doo movie do you remember um this? with the jackalope the the animated yes, the one. jackalope one yeah yes the animated scooby-doo movie with aliens it's like that vibe at the end of the song but in like the best way you know so it's great um i've also been <laughs> listening to a single by joseph uh it's been a little heavy lately uh not me, Joseph. Another Joseph, uh, as you guys will, could probably figure out on your own. Um, but there is also a band called Mont Dumel that uh, I listened to Days With You, another great single. I went down kind of like a huge um, rabbit hole of music, honestly, because I, I did a road trip um, to Phoenix from L.A. And there's really nothing to look at, so you have to have music going the whole time or else you'll go insane, uh, basically. Um, also, oh, I forgot to mention this. Charlie Hickey's new record is so underrated. It's Nervous at Night. You should check it out. It's very underrated. I have no idea why he doesn't have higher streaming numbers. But for whatever reason, he doesn't. He's signed to Phoebe Bridger's label. There was a lot of hype behind him um, from the beginning of his signing. But people are just kind of sleeping on this record. And I, I don't understand why because it is really just kind of a, a beautiful collection of songs that aren't just like too crazy overproduced. It's really just like Charlie and all of his, you know, creative splendor at the end of the day. So very great. Splendor. Good stuff. Uh, I wanted you to know. Creative splendor. I wanted you to know that we were trying to figure out what that movie is called. It's called Scooby-Doo and the Alien Invaders. I can't believe we could not get that. <laughs> It's literally just hey, you what know. you were saying. You know, it's really on the nose. And the aliens. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty on the nose there. Um, you know, I guess it makes sense. It's not like Scooby Doo and the you know other people. Like it's literally the most on the nose description I've ever seen. I don't know. I can't wait until he, you know what's in a you know Scooby Doo and the vampire that follows them until they unmask him. You know, like. What? Yeah. what the heck are Scooby-Doo these Scooby-Doo and the Hex Girls. That's what I want. Uh, that was pretty straightforward because that was the main plot point I got onto. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> well, um... Don't act like you don't thirst for the Hex Girls. Uh, don't act like it. I... Well, yeah, I mean... Y- bye! We don't ha- <laughs> <laughs> See ya! Bye! Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Biz Tape. Please be sure to review this episode or download it if you want to be extra spicy uh, and get on our uh, Me and Colin spice list. 
he's he's shaking his head uh, right now. I can't see him shaking his head, but he is. I, I'm imagining it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and in the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.